Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. Now, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad. This is Inside Sports on 6.30. Chet, going to keep an eye on this basketball game on Wednesday. Gold State at 72-9 and will be playing Memphis with a chance to uh, break the Bulls' all-time record for the best regular season. They went 72-10. and Golden State will try to eclipse that. As we check your scoreboard for Crystal Glass, for all your glass needs, visit Crystal Glass's today. Other news and notes, the Arizona Coyotes fire general manager Don Maloney, Philadelphia Flyers founder Ed Snyder passing away at the age of 83. Flyers in the playoffs. Nurse Reinhardt Brassois Osterley going to the Bakersfield Condors of the American Hockey League. Uh, McDavid Hall and Talbot will play for Canada at Worlds. Maroon and Hendricks will play for the States. Dreisaitl for Germany. Sekera for Slovakia. Catching up on some text messages here. Critter says, if you aren't a team that consistently wins, it's probably because you don't have adequate skills or you're not trying or both. The failure to accept that you continually need to improve your skills and to try at a consistently high level is a formula for underachievement. This may be the Oilers' problem. That is a text to 630-630 from Critter. Gern says, Reed, I agree this team has somewhat of an attitude problem, but to be fair, they have been tossed from coach to coach. Thank God this coach will stay, and he likes to talk about his group as a family. And we were talking about the movie The Outsiders earlier, sort of. Somehow the term pony boy came up. This texture says, uh, hey, read The Outsiders. What a great movie from the early 80s. A who's who of the male stars to come for the next 15 years. See Thomas Howell, Ralph Macchio, Matt Dillon, Patrick Swayze, Tom Cruise, Rob Lowe, Emilio Estevez, Leif Garrett, and the young, beautiful Diane Lane. Ah. That is from, is that DW that texted that one in? That was DW. Thank you, DW. Yeah, it's been a long time since I saw The Outsiders. Watched that movie Frank last night. The uh, guy with the paper mache head in the band. I was expecting more. You know what I watched on Friday night for the third time? Force Awakens. Here's the thing. I bought the Blu-ray, but it also has a regular DVD in there. So I put it in, and I'm like... This doesn't, this doesn't seem like it's that sharp. I accidentally put the DVD in instead of the Blu-ray. Oops. Oh, well. Movie's the same. I think, anyway. 
Oh, here's the real movie on Blu-ray. So, uh, Matthew Panashik is the studio producer tonight. How's it going, buddy? It's great, great. Did you watch any golf yesterday? Yes, I did, and I was stunned to see Jordan Spieth. Because, you know, I had to drive from uh, from my house to here, and by the time I got to here, I'm like, what just happened to Jordan Spieth? And I'm like, oh, my goodness, that is just... I didn't see that coming, did you? No one saw it coming, I guess. Well, I mean, okay, one in the water, it happens. The second one in the water, that was just a complete chunk. And Spieth says he was off his game in the final round indeed. I had my B-minus game tee to green, and I made up for it around the greens and with my putter. Ultimately, um, you just have to have your A game with every single part, and I just didn't have um, those iron swings as it showed on the back nine. So this has led to, especially in this Internet age, well, the worst chokes in sports, the worst blown leads in sports. Comparisons even to uh, Jean Vandeveld. And what was that, the 99 British Open? Honestly, Vandeveld was worse than Spieth. His was on the 18th hole, right? And he made some crazy decisions. You know, he didn't have to hit the club off the tee. He didn't have to try for the hero shot once he was in the rough. Remember when he took his shoes off and considered trying to hit it out of the water? Yep. Then he changed his mind and took the drop. I mean, then he he did get into a playoff, but he he wound up losing. I just think that was a far worse blown lead than Spieth. Because the thing is, with Vandeveld, it was all on him, right? Like, he basically had the tournament. Hey, if Danny Willett doesn't go out and shoot a 67, Spieth's in a playoff, right? So he's still going to give Willett the credit. And Spieth had holes and chances after that to try to make it up. So the 12th hole, yes, is where he lost the tournament, but I don't think it's in the same category as of the blown lead as, as Vandeveld. Though it was shocking. And when I was, I was at the rink when it, I, I made it home for about the last four holes, but I was at the rink because we covered all the weather stuff yesterday. So I do work right in the booth there where we broadcast from. So I had the TV on, and it was kinda, it's kind of off to the side. So I kind of looked over, and I was like, oh, that's Spieth's water that was short and rolled back into the water, which, again, happens on number 12, right? And then the second shot, I looked up just as it went into the water, and I thought, well, wait a minute. That can't be Spieth, because who misses the green by that much after taking a drop? Well, apparently it's... Po- I mean, that's that was a, like... Probably you could have hit a better shot in that situation, Panashik. Even with the pressure of the Masters weighing on you. Oh, Reed, I, I got a story for you if you want to hear it. Uh, I, sh- I one time at the club championship as a junior shot 37 on the front and shot a 90 that day. Oh, yeah. fell apart on the back nine, Took eh? a 14 on number 11. Jeez. Oh, Speaking of failure, when we get back, we're going to talk to Amber Mozowicz. She has studied failure in athletes and how the best ones deal with it. That's next on Inside Sports. You're listening to 630 Ched Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Well, failure, it happens to every athlete, even the great ones like Jordan Spieth. What's the best way to deal with it? Well, some folks at the U of A have been looking into just that. Amber Mozowicz is an assistant professor in sports psychology at the U of A. She joins us now. Welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great, thanks. How are you? Doing very well. Uh, very interesting stuff that uh, we've been reading here, and, and uh, you've written some stuff and done some research. So wanted to get you to expand on it a bit because 
it's about failure. <laughs> and uh, I guess if you look at sports, uh, every, every team sport has one team that's successful and one that fails. And in a golf tournament, I guess you could argue there's only one guy out of over 100 that uh, that, that succeeds while the rest fail. But, but first of all... Um, just give us a, a little bit of a background about uh, why this was an important thing to to be studied and to be looked into. Okay, yeah, sure. I, I guess if we think about the sport environment, it can provide a lot of positives for athletes, right? But there are also, there's those inevitable setbacks, failures, evaluative circumstances that every athlete faces at some point in another. And the key really is is how athletes cope or manage those situations, those demands that are inevitably going to be placed on them. And athletes are introduced to a variety of different coping skills, mental skills to try to manage the demands that are placed on them. Um, And we want to ensure that they're able to effectively cope with failure or a setback, as a lot of athletes like to put it, and position themselves to move forward um, with an even better focus the next time and really learn from that mistake rather than ruminating on the past. But we have heard athletes talk about the difficulties in sometimes letting go of that ruminative focus, that dwelling on past mistakes, suggesting that maybe some further skills are needed for certain athletes. Right. So the and there's the the section of uh, of the piece here that that you've given some quotes and and uh, you know some some uh, some facts to is called failing better. <laughs> which I think is a great uh, a great term. Wh- how do you define failing better? I think if we think of failure in terms of an event that everyone does have to deal with at one point in another, whether it's in sport or some other type of domain, it, we, we're going to come across those sorts of circumstances in our lives. And we can take a variety of different paths. We all respond differently in those situations, in those situations of setback or failure. So we're really looking to how do we respond adaptively, effectively, in a way that positions us for a good focus moving forward, more of a learning moment rather than an opportunity to dwell and diminish our confidence and, and our focus. So what is... So me, oh, sorry. I'll let you finish. Sorry. So to me, failing well would be seeing a situation maybe as a setback and taking what we can objectively from the situation to move on with a more effective focus. So what is self-compassion and how does it figure into all this? All right. Well, self-compassion is a relatively new construct in the psychological literature, um, but it comes from more Eastern traditions. So self-compassion involves giving yourself kindness and understanding during a difficult time as opposed to being really harshly self-critical. So an athlete who who is self-compassionate would respond in a more kind, understanding manner in terms of a mistake rather than being really harshly self-critical, would recognize that, you know what, other athletes have faced this before, have come back from it, and are very good at keeping thoughts and feelings in a balance. So not over-identifying with mistakes, ruminating, dwelling, or completely ignoring it either. So someone with self-compassion is going to have a more clear focus moving forward, being quite objective about a situation, and is more likely to see it clearly. 
Amber Mosowicz joining us on Inside Sports, assistant professor at the U of A specializing in sports psychology. We're talking about, uh, about failure, about failing better. So this is interesting, um, given a, a very headline-grabbing failure from a pretty big golf tournament yesterday. A young man named Jordan Spieth hit not one but two balls into the water on the same hole, which his score on that hole ultimately cost him the tournament. So, I mean, look, neither you nor I know Jordan Spieth or can golf as well as he can, but, I mean, if, if, if you would have been able to whisper in his ear after he hit his tee shot in the water, even before he chunked the second one, um, what would have been the, the best advice you could have given him in that difficult moment? Um, if I had a chance to speak with him, I would say keep your focus, keep your emotions in balance, just accept and move on. There's no sense dwelling too much on that last shot. He's got more to make and take what you can, learn, and you can reflect back later. Okay, so that's got to be tough, though. <laughs> exactly. Easier said than done, right? Right, because he, he knew what he was facing, and then certainly after he put the second one in the water, um, he, he really knew what he was up against. I mean, do you find... Did, did did your research indicate anything about what some of the, and I and I know in the article too you you guys have put in the quote from from Michael Jordan about hey I missed just as many game winning shots as I missed but you know I kept shooting them did, what what is it what did your research show about the highest highest caliber athletes the Jordans of the worlds or the Woods of the worlds are are they able to just forget failure do do they face it and learn from it what what does what do the elite men and women generally do when when they fail yeah the the interesting thing is is that they do still vary in their responses but when you hear athletes talking about their best performances ever they kept their emotions they kept their thoughts and feelings in a balance they were quite accepting of them Um, and they were able to learn from their mistakes and take a clear perspective moving forward It's tough to say what's going on in the minds of elite-level athletes, but typically they are quite skilled at self-regulation. They're very self-aware and are able to keep themselves in that optimal state of activation for uh, peak performance. But as we saw yesterday, perhaps that doesn't always work um, regardless of the level that you're at. You know, it's it's funny. I, I do the uh, the Oilers post game show with with Rob Brown, and we all, you know, hey, people are unhappy about what happened to the team this year, and we get people calling in about body language and all this kind of stuff. And you know, Rob played in the NHL, and he often says, well, you know, a lot of athletes show bad body language in the instant where something doesn't go their way. And back to golf, I mean, Tiger Woods was notorious for slamming his club, for swearing in front of <laughs> large mm-hmm. galleries and, you know, or whatever. But, but so you're saying if that's what that athlete needs to do in that moment, it's okay as long as it doesn't affect the next shot or the next shift or whatever. Well, we want to be responding adaptively, and it means certain responses can trigger a cascade effect, so to say. Um, But the interesting thing about the sport context is we tell athletes to not be too hard on themselves and not lose their focus, yet we almost expect certain outbursts when an athlete makes a mistake. We we see athletes look angry at themselves, sometimes even expect it. 
and perhaps we maybe need to shift that that expectation a little bit. Right. So this is interesting. Is is there a next phase uh, for you in this project? Are you going to apply it to maybe some of the the U of A sports teams to help them out? What what happens next? Yeah, this research is still in its infancy, um, but we have. Uh, come up with a successful intervention, so a way to actually promote these sorts of mindsets. And results are indicating that it is promoting the frame of mind that athletes desire during difficult times. Um, so it, it does seem to be filling a gap with the athletes we've worked with so far. So the next step would be to look at a broader range of athletes, see if it is generalizable. Our work has been targeted towards athletes who self-identify as being very self-critical, um, so perhaps this is a skill that is useful for those trying to cope with high self-criticism. Maybe it isn't for everyone. Um, but I think the key take-home is that there's a fine line between evaluating yourself, being being critical, being constructively critical, and veering off into that harsh self-criticism that can derail your focus and your confidence. Right. Well, yeah, that must be a fine line indeed. Amber, thanks so much for joining us on Insights Force. Really interesting stuff. And, uh, yeah, all the best as you continue moving on with it. Thank you. Amber Mozowicz joining us, assistant professor, uh, professor in sports psychology at the University of Alberta. Yakashev, one of my favorites, texting in. He says, the Masters is a great tournament, but why do the caddies have to wear outfits that make it look like they're getting ready to crawl under your car and change your oil? And Mark says, I have all the old Oilers Stanley Cup championships on VHS. Going to watch that instead of the playoffs. That is for Mark. Well, no playoffs anywhere in Canada. Calgary included. What went wrong there? We're going to be going across the country all week. We will start with the Flames with our old friend Pat Steinberg when we get back. Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chad. Well, I gotta tell you something here, it's pretty exciting. There's a 22% chance that Austin Matthews will be playing his home games in Alberta this coming season. The odds for the draft lottery. To win it, 13.5% chance for your Edmonton Oilers. 8.5% chance for the team down the highway, the Calgary Flames, who, after a 97-point season last year, finished with 77. And me and this gentleman both spending much of this day talking to disappointed fans. It is Pat Steinberg from the Flames Radio Network, Sportsnet 960 in Calgary. Pat, welcome back to the show. How are you doing, buddy? It is an honor and a pleasure to be on your show as always. I agree with that, first of all. Thanks for making time for me. Uh, <laughs> what? Uh, how, how excited are you for the draft lottery, buddy? You didn't have to worry about it last year. We, uh, yeah, well, it was weird because we're kind of used to, you know, getting ready for it down here too. Um, I'm actually a little sour that it's on April 30th. I don't, I don't understand why they pushed it back so, 
so far this year. Like usually season ends and you're kind of getting ready for it the, the first week of the playoffs. Like usually, you know, you're like sometime around tomorrow or Wednesday or Thursday. You're, but now they're doing it the Saturday and they're pushing it back. So a little sour about that, but, but actually not really. I'm, I'm actually quite interested in it. I'm, not, I'm, 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 really, I'm really excited to see if this new draft lottery will finally put to an end all the conversation about tanking and, you know, should teams do this and should teams ice these players and is it right for this team to do that? Because, you know, this, this new draft lottery, it, it really does throw things totally into whack. And while the Toronto Maple Leafs have the best odds at getting number one, there's still an 80% chance they don't. And the Oilers are second and they've got, you know, 13.5% or whatever it is. So that means that there's still like a, 86% chance they won't end up drafting number one overall. And so I just, I, I like how it can change. I like how, you know, you've got a pretty good opportunity at, at, you know, number seven or number eight when it's all said and done to draft in the top three. And, and so I think for, because in, in prior years when the Flames were in the draft lottery and had missed the playoffs, the, the, the first few years it didn't really matter because they finished as kind of like, the the 17th or 18th place team in the league and missed the playoffs by a few points. Uh, whereas in the the, the the lockout year where they ended up finishing near the bottom and the year after that where they, they finished right near the bottom at 27th, they got the fourth overall pick, the highest pick they've ever had. And there was actually excitement about it. You're like, oh, maybe, maybe they could end up winning it. And now with them having 8.5 or 8% or whatever it is to, to win the draft lottery, but pretty decent chance of picking somewhere in the top three. And I think it makes it pretty exciting. So I'm, I'm just fascinated by the whole thing. I, I love that the flames can pick first, second, third, fifth, sixth, seventh, or eighth. So they oh, have yeah, a that's 0%, right. Zero yeah. percent chance of drafting fourth. They have a better chance of drafting sixth and dropping down a spot than where they are. Like if the season ended right now and they didn't do a draft lottery, the flames would draft fifth. But with this new lottery, they got a better chance of drafting sixth than actually drafting where they finished, and and that's the right. statistically their their best chances to to draft six. So I'm just I'm fascinated by it, and I'm really curious to see what the top three looks like when it's all said. Yeah, right. Once you factor in all the possible percentages, it's most likely they wound up sixth. I, I mean, look, the dry. I know people complain about well, the Oilers are going to get you know they've got four number one picks. You know, they could get another one. Who knows? You can't predict random ping-pong balls. That's what I always say. I think I said that on your show even. Yeah. Um, but but the thing is, A, the Oilers didn't win the draft lottery when they drafted Ryan Nugent Hopkins. The Devils did, but the rules were different. And the fact that the Oilers got McDavid and have been bad for a long time isn't a flaw of the draft lottery. It's a flaw of the Edmonton Oilers, and I want people to remember that. And <laughs> But I'm glad they've gone to this three-team format um, and, and let's face it, if there wasn't a draft lottery, people would be complaining that Buffalo finished last two years in a row, right, before this yeah. year, and got Ekblad and McDavid. So you, there's no perfect format. There's no format that people can't complain about. So, But I like now that they're drawing three, and it's a little more randomized in terms of who, because, you know, a, a low-percentage team could, could move up to first, second, or third. They get those extra two chances. In terms of the Flames, Pat, uh, most of us, including me, did not think they would be anywhere near having these kind of odds in the draft lottery, but they dropped off by 20 points from last season. 
what is the dialogue now about what needs to change for this squad? Well, the big talk is goaltending. And when you have the league's worst goals against and the league's worst team save percentage, uh, that's that's automatically where the conversation is going to go. And, and I think it's a big problem. I don't think it's the only problem. I think they're a team that has a lot of other flaws. But right now, this team, like the Oilers, the Oilers, I think, you know, did they solve their goaltending problems? I mean, like, I, probably. Uh, Cam Talbot looks like a guy who's you know, he's going to the world championships. He looks like a guy who's, who's probably going to, to be a decent number one here for the next number of number of years. I don't know if the Oilers went out and got the, the, the goaltender at the same level of Carey Price or Henrik Lundqvist or Ben Bishop, but they got a pretty solid number one goalie, and that's what the Flames need to do because they don't have it right now. You know, the, Brad Tree Living, the general manager, confirmed today that Jonas Hiller and Nicholas Backstrom will not be back next year, which isn't a big surprise. They're both pending unrestricted free agents. Hiller's 34, Backstrom's 38, and, and neither of them are – Neither of them are consistent NHL goaltenders anymore. Hiller had a, a, just an absolutely horrid season, and, and Backstrom, you know, has only played four games this year, and he's 38 years old. So neither will be back. Kari Ramo is also an unrestricted free agent. He's 30 years old and he's coming will be coming off of reconstructive knee surgery after tearing his ACL in February. And Yoni Ordio played the bulk of the games down the stretch. He started 17 games from about mid-February until the end of the season. So they don't really have a number one goaltender going forward. John Gillies is a third-round pick of theirs from 2012, and there's still a lot of high hopes for him, and a lot of people think he's going to turn out to be a number one goaltender, but we know how it works. I mean, it takes American, you know, to take a look at Laurent Brassois and, and, and how much how much time he's going to have to get to, to be a full-time NHL goaltender. Well, John Gillies lost basically this entire season, his first year of pro because of hip surgery, so he's still you know, two, three, four years away from being uh, a potential full-time NHL goaltender, specifically as a number one. So they need to find that guy. And I, there's there's a lot of rumors connecting them to Freddie Anderson or Jimmy Howard or, or other names that could be out there right now. And I don't know, maybe they go down that route. But they need to figure out, and as Brad Treleving said today, they need to solidify their goaltending position. That's That's first and foremost. And the rest of it, I mean, it's it's mostly just about continued development. This team still gives up too many shots in this team and, and, and spends too much time on their own end and relies on blocking shots too much. And they don't, they don't spend enough time with the puck at the right end of the ice. They don't generate enough shots and generate enough offense. Now, you know, they've got really, really high-end finishers like Johnny Gaudreau and Sean Monaghan, and, and Sam Bennett's going to turn into that. Michael Backlund and Joe Colburn had career years, so they were still able to produce offensively in terms of goal totals at a pretty decent clip, but they still rely too much on a high shooting percentage and rely too much on block shots and not having the puck enough, and, and that bit them this year. So that, that to me, is could you can you address that with additions? Yeah, maybe. But I think more than anything else is just continued progression of Sam Bennett and Johnny Gaudreau and T.J. Brody and Sean Monaghan and just as they continue to grow. I mean, we're talking about three of those guys who are 22 years old or younger. So it just as they get older and mature into better players and, and the, the, there's the, the pressure and all that responsibility is easier for them to take, I think the team just progresses. So to me, the, the main dialogue was mainly about goaltending here. It needs to be better, and, and they – they, they asked their goalies to do too much this year. That's true. And the goalies were not up to the task for the most part this year. But, 
they have got to solidify that position, and it's not an easy thing to do. But if they don't, I, I don't really see them being a playoff competitive team next year either. Pat Steinberg joining us on Inside Sports. It's 8.43, talking about the Calgary Flames as they head into their offseason. Okay, so Monaghan and Goudreau, right, both RFAs. Are, are we talking bridge deals? Are we talking a big, like, $7 million per year for Goudreau? You know, maybe a longer one for him. What do you see happening? I don't know why you'd bridge. Like, if I'm, if I'm their agent, I love a bridge deal because, look, Sean Monaghan – has gone from having good rookie year to career second year where he scored 30 goals. He almost got to 30 goals this year, had more points than he had last year. I mean, Sean Monaghan, at the age of 19, 20, and 21, is a three-time 20-goal scorer, a one-time 30-goal scorer, and a two-time 60-point getter. Like, if, if you're Sean Monaghan, you're like, yeah, sign me for two years at $5.5 million each, and then I'll demand like nine and a half when when the next two years are done. So, you know, same with Gaudreau. Gaudreau's a... You know, Kudrow's a Calder Trophy finalist in his rookie year, and he's almost point per game in, in his second year at the age of 22. So, again, you're like, yeah, give me two years, and, and then I'll demand $10 million uh, when, when I come out of it. So they would probably love a bridge deal. If you're the Flames, you want that long-term deal, even though it's going to cost you a lot of money and probably be the two biggest contracts this organization has ever signed in terms of the financials of it. You've got to do it right now if you're them because – these are your two cornerstone forwards or two of your cornerstone players going forward, and, and you want to have them locked up. So I, you take a look at, Reader, you take a look at the numbers from Johnny Gaudreau in his first two years and compare them to Vladimir Tarasenko's in his first two years. Oh, you take Johnny Gaudreau's second year and compare it to this year for Vladimir Tarasenko, and he's got more experience and he's a little older. They very much are comparable, and Gaudreau actually ends up tipping the scales offensive. You take a look at what Gaudreau does for players around him and, and some of the metrics that track that. And Gaudreau, if, if Tarasenko got eight years, $60 million, which is seven and a half per, how is Gaudreau not starting in that, in that kind of same ballpark for his contract? So that's, that's kind of what I'm expecting between seven and $8 million per for Gaudreau. I think Monaghan doesn't come in quite as steep, but again, you know, you're talking about a two-time 60-point scorer at the age of 20 and 21. He's almost scored 30 twice in this league. I mean, you're paying for what this guy could do down the road when he's a 24, 25-year-old player. You know, that that's probably worth six and a half million dollars per. So, you know, I've kind of ballparked it at Gaudreau seven and a half and and Monahan six and a half over eight years each. I mean, th- those those would be pretty good contracts for the Flames. Like they're not good value, but they're market value. And right now you've got to sign these guys to market value deals. So I think you're probably talking about $14 million combined between the two. And, you know, everybody criticizes, at least down here in Calgary, there's a lot of criticism for, you know, we, we look up here and a lot of people criticize the Oilers for giving Hall and Everly and Nugent Hopkins those big deals and, and giving them $42 million. And I say, what other choice did they have? Like, if, if the Oilers bridge Taylor Hall, he's making more than $6 million now. If, and probably, you know, maybe not to the same extent with Everly and, and Nugent Hopkins, but if they, would, if they would have done two years for Taylor Hall, he's probably making eight, eight and a half million dollars right now. Taylor Hall at $6 million, 
you take a look at his production, that's pretty decent value for what you're paying compared to the rest of the league. So you've, you've got to go long-term with these guys because you don't want to have to pay even – you don't want to have the P.K. Subban situation where they bridged him and then he ended up getting that massive bump because they want a Norris Trophy in there. And, and these guys, I'm not saying that they're going to win Hearts or, or Art Ross Trophies. Gaudreau might, who knows. But they're going to have two good seasons here and they're going to probably set themselves up – for more money if you bridge them. So give them the long-term deal. That's what I think the Flames are looking at. Whether or not that's the way it ends up going, that kind of comes down to the agents. But I, I do know that I, my feel is the ideal situation for the team would be to give them the max length. And, and yeah, it's going to be a lot of money, but you got to do it. Pat, running short on time here, in uh, in a minute or less, if you can, from your experience uh, from today and doing the call-in mm-hmm. show all year long, who are the Calgary fans most angry with after this season? Whew, that's a good question. Uh, I think there's some fingers pointed at the head coach. Uh, that There wasn't a lot of adjustment in the way this team played this year. You know, they made the playoffs by relying on block shots, stretch pass, and a high shooting percentage. And there's a lot of people who said, well, that's, that's not going to be sustainable. And when it wasn't sustainable, there wasn't a lot of adjustments made this past year. So I think there's been some finger-pointing there. And I, I do think the goaltending. The goaltending was was middle of the road, but good enough when they made the playoffs in 14-15. It was worst in the NHL and, and lost them plenty of games this year. So I, I would say those are the two main areas. Uh, and I, I don't think they're going to be making any changes in the coaching uh, department, but I do think they're going to be making you know significant changes between the pipes. I hope there are no changes with the Flames when it comes to radio broadcasters. Pat, thank you so much for making time for us tonight. I hope everybody that listens to your program knows what an honor and a privilege it is to hear your dulcet tones <laughs> each and every night. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. <laughs> Bye, buddy. <laughs> that is Pat Steiner checking in from Sportsnet 960 in Calgary. Yes, uh, rough season for all the Canadian teams. We're going to go across the country this week, check in with uh, with everybody. We're going to have a Montreal Canadiens angle on the show tomorrow night. Gee, do you think they missed Carey Price, speaking of injuries? It's 849. Uh, we got the latest on Connor McDavid. He did something pretty cool. That's next, Inside Sports on Chet. For breaking news and expert opinion, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 6:30 Chad. Well, pretty cool moment for a couple of local hockey teams today. Connor McDavid surprising the Pee Wee St. Charles Bulldogs and the Adam St. Charles Renegades at the Sport Check in West Edmonton Mall today. McDavid held a Q&A session with the kids. He says one question really stood out. Uh, if I was married, uh, I think that was that was hilarious. Uh, it was a little girl. She asked me if I was married, and I thought that was really funny. and um, Really cute question. Man. Yeah, it's really good. Um, you know, it actually means they're thinking about you know, serious questions, and, and they're wanting to learn and, and you know, actually genuinely hear what I have to say. So I think that that uh, it feels good when, when you, know, you get a, a question like that. And, and you know, I mean, it's tough. You want to answer it the best way they can and, and something that you know, they'll remember. So um, you know, there's some really good questions out of there. McDavid taking pictures with the kids. He surprised each player with a signed McDavid jersey video of this on 630Ched.com. Inside Sports brought to you by AMA. Thanks for listening all season long to your Alberta Motor Association's Oilers Hockey AMA safety and savings for your family. Randy Kilburn in the newsroom. We have not worked a shift together 
in a while. You were on mornings, and you were <laughs> tell people where for a few weeks. Well, I was in uh, Surprise, Arizona for uh, three weeks watching uh, Cactus League Baseball spring training. That is awesome. Did you go to a lot of games? Yeah, I got to uh, six or seven. It was it was great. I always enjoy that every year. Love going down there. You now, bet. Now, is it expensive to attend the Cactus League games? Oh, gosh, no. You no? know, uh, the, the one club that you can't get a ticket for, though. I mean, it's sold. They sell out every spring training game. It's incredible. Are the Cubs. Ah. They just moved into Sloan Park in 2014, and that's in Mesa, and uh, it's a, a replica of Wrigley Field. So, I mean, and even where wherever they play, the Cubs, doesn't matter if they're on the road during uh, spring training, you still can't get a ticket for that club. It's uh, really incredible. But, yeah, I saw six, seven games, uh, really enjoyed it, and you asked if it was expensive. No, I always waited to, to the very last minute, walked up to the booth, the ticket wicket, and said, uh, I'll take a, a seat on the grass, and that's like eight bucks. Oh, nice. How many? Is it what eight teams that are down there? Or is it more than that? Now? No, I think it's more than that. I really, you know, I'll tell you, Reed, I've lost track, but uh, there it's, are a lot. Yeah, it's ten or twelve or something. It's got to be yeah. something like twelve. Yeah, and yeah. most of them share uh, the stadium with another club, except. Right. You know, teams like the Cubs and Oakland and other clubs like that. But, uh, no, it's it's the way to spend March, I'll tell you. Randy, thanks for coming on the show, buddy. You bet, man. Thanks. All right. That is Inside Sports for this evening. First of all, thanks to everybody who participated in the interactive stuff today on the phone line and the text line. We'll always have time for that. The Oilers wrapped it up. Get more on the Oilers page on 630Ched.com. The full Talbot, or uh, pardon me, the full McClellan media availability is there. You heard today from Cam Talbot, Kelly Rudy, Amber Mosewich, Pat Steinberg, the studio producer this evening, the infallible Matthew Panasic. Dave Campbell is the producer of the show. My name is Reed Wilkins. More tomorrow night. It's going to be fun again. Talk to you then. Has its dawn, just like every night has its dawn, just like six thirty. Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on six thirty. Chad.